This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today I am joined by Tim Dugan. Tim is with Stark and Stark. Got an interesting, unique topic for this show today. We're going to be talking about eminent domain. But before we do, welcome to the show, Tim. Great. Thanks, Chris. And it's a pleasure being here. I'm excited to be on your uh, podcast. Thank you. So, Tim, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are, your work history, what you do. Take it away. Oh, great. Thank you. So I'm an attorney at Stark & Stark. And I'm chair of our eminent domain and real estate property valuation group. Uh, what I specialize is representing property owners, including a lot of retail property owners, um, in eminent domain and condemnation cases where the government comes along, maybe increases a road, builds a new infrastructure project that requires them to take part of a retail property or the entire property if they're building a school or some sort of governmental project. And we represent the property owners in trying to protect their rights as the government tries to change your access, you know, in and out of your uh, location, or if they take part of your property, what the government has to pay you in damages. So how long have you been doing specializing in this? Well, I, I do actually wear two hats within our firm. I'm also here, uh, chair of our bankruptcy and creditors rights group and represent a lot of commercial sure. landlords in Chapter 11 cases. So I've been doing the bankruptcy for about 30 years and been doing the eminent domain and real estate litigation for about 20 years. Okay. So the reason you're on today is because we've got some new bills that have passed and some things that are happening that might increase the amount of work in your world. Is that the case? Yes, we, we are expecting to see a significant increase with the infrastructure spending and the projects that could arise from that um, in the next couple of years. So why don't you start us with the infrastructure spending and how you think that translates to potential more eminent domain and takings by government? Sure. So when you look at the infrastructure projects, it's everything from road projects, which could be a new road or an expansion of the road. Uh, in New Jersey, we have a lot of problems with our bridges. And sometimes when they do a bridge replacement project, they also try to bring the uh, roads along in that area, usually a state highway, up to code. And that requires them to change or modify some of the uh, access in and out of a project. You may have new um, uh, pipelines, you may have new electrical towers, and then you're going to have certain projects in a municipality or a county estate where they're going to build a, a, a new building and they need to acquire your property. For the retail industry, where we think it's going to have the biggest impact is when they do a road widening and change the access to a retail site, it could have significant impacts on the retail site, if it changes how you get in and out of the site or the on-site maneuverability, um, both in the present use or in your future use. And we've seen that in a couple cases where I've recently tried some jury trials um, for some retail sites that a small taking had a significant impact. And 
yeah, I, I'm familiar, involved in one in New Hampshire, actually. Um, didn't have, uh, well, I'll just say involved in one in New Hampshire. Uh, that said, so let's get, I want to get context of magnitude here. Do you think this is probably something that's going to, the activity level will increase across the country? Yes. When you look at the funding and the amount of funding, we expect it to happen throughout the country. And again, the way politics is, as money comes into a state, the pet projects get funded first. Sure. So there's a lot of political direction of where the money goes. And, uh, you know, I think the, the key to understand is a small project can have a significant impact on a, uh, a retail site, and the property owners really need to pay attention. Um, a good example, I had a seven-day jury trial in New Jersey um, where the the DOT was just taking an additional five feet, right, along your frontage. It doesn't sound like a lot. But one of our tenants was a car dealership. And by just moving it back five feet, it was just enough where we were not going to be able to park our car inventory out front. Imagine having a site, your tenant, your tenants have been there for 50 years, is a high-end used car dealership that now can't park their inventory out front. And when you looked at the project in the beginning, you might not have understood that just that five-foot change of the right-of-way was going to have a significant impact. And the state of New Jersey offered us 40000 saying we don't have damages. We ended up having a jury trial, and they came back with 750000 because the jury understood a car dealership that you can't park cars out front is a significant drop in value. And that's something that the um, property owner has to understand is even on a project that doesn't look like a big change, you need to do a thorough analysis of is it impacting how they're getting in and out of sight? Is it impacting your present use? And is it going to impact any future uses you may have? Are you going to lose parking spaces? Is your building envelope smaller? And this was a bridge project. It wasn't even a road widening project. They were um, fixing a bridge maybe a quarter mile down the road, and they wanted to bring up to code all the other access on both sides of the bridge, and they put in a sidewalk. Wow. And it was a minor disaster. Did – so a couple of things on that one specific example. One, did they decide to move through – given that they now had to pay 750 did they decide to move through – move the project along still? Or was that enough dollars to blow up the project? Well, it's, it really depends on your state. New Jersey, what's known as a quick-take state. So what the government can do if they want to get going on the project is they file the complaint and can immediately file what's called the Declaration of Taking, which is a simple document that gets filed with the county and deposit the pre-litigation offer, in this case 40000 into court. They now own the project property and could do the project. What they could do is not deposit the money, not file the declaration of taking, and go through step one of the case, which is a, a commissioner's hearing. That's where the court appoints three people. They listen to your case and come up with a number. If that number's too big, they could walk away from the project. If either side doesn't like the number, you could request the trial. But the court sets a deadline whether, where the government has to make a decision where they're committed or they want to walk. And if they walk, 
they just have to pay the property owner's attorney fees and expenses. So the question you have is depends where in the process when the number comes. So for example, in my case, they deposited the money, they had to pay the jury verdict. They had wow. the choice. Were they, were they mind blown on the jury verdict? Um, you know, um, no, because there were some pretty experienced lawyers and when you present it to a jury, there is uncertainty. There is. And every once in a while, you'll present a head and scratch your case and you wonder what the jurors were thinking. So sometimes they go your way, sometimes they don't. Um, you know, I don't think they really gave weight to our traffic engineer who was very good. He laid out a case saying, I, before you took my property, I can get my cars in and out. Afterwards, I can't. And I think the jury understood a car, our, our experts did a good job. They really did communicating to the jury that if you can't park 23 cars out front of a car dealership, you're going to get killed the next time you try to lease that property. So, but in that case, they got a payday, but they still can't park the cars. Yeah. So that, you know, that's, that's your damages that's presented to the jury and you get one bite at the apple. We'll find out down the road if if um, if we have to redo the lease, what we get. Um, if we have to knock down the building and, and repurpose it. So you know you know you're very experienced in the real estate. When you own a piece of property and times are changing, you're always looking at repurposing, redeveloping what you could do with the property. This is a very good property because it's on car dealership row. It's always been a car dealership, and you want to keep it as a car dealership, right? It has that recognition. It's a good location. That's why we thought it was such a um, big problem. Now, if you knock down the building and rebuilt it, you know, maybe you could do something different. But, you know, who wants to go through that cost if you have a good site? Yeah, for sure. Wow. So <clears throat> I think my first question, when do you think this uptick in activity when governments start taking action because of the new infrastructure bill starts to make its way in the system. Yeah, I think it could start in the next, you know, 12 months when the money starts flowing, the early part, because I do think there's been a lot of projects that have been on the drawing board that they just didn't have the money for. So if you look at, you know, the various planning, they design these projects pretty far in advance, um, and then they need the money. So I do think you could start seeing some projects that were on the drawing board start up somewhat quickly, then picking up steam in two or three years. And do you have any, like, how, you don't hear a lot about it. How, you know, I don't know if you know the answer to this. How, how many eminent domain cases, like, are there in a year? Well, it's sort of, it, it's an interesting question. So, for example, in New Jersey, eminent domains used a lot when they, when they redevelop an area. So for example, Jersey City, New Brunswick, a lot of the cities, Newark, they were having redevelopment projects that um, were somewhat driven by the economy. And then you have county, state, and municipal projects that are based upon the budget. So it's all over the pace. You know, 10 years ago, after uh, when New Jersey was building all the new schools, you had a lot of eminent domain cases as they were trying to buy property under the uh, you know New Jersey school construction. There was 30 some odd school districts that were underfunded. 
Supreme Court said you have to fix that. So New Jersey threw money at it and built a bunch of new schools. They needed to use the power of eminent domain to take it. So we had a couple-year run of those types of cases. When the economy is good, there was a lot of redevelopment acquisitions, Long Branch, cities like that, where developers came in, got the municipalities to use the power of eminent domain to take property and give it to them to build. Hmm. And then you have your, I'll call it your garden variety, New Jersey Department of Transportation, widen a road, fixing a bridge. And I have cases now where PSC&G is building a new um, electricity station. I have another client where New Jersey Transit's put one of those big safety cabinets on her driveway down the shore. I mean, it's a disaster to have this put on your driveway. Granted, it's a safety for New Jersey Transit. But again, that's one of New Jersey Transit projects, PSC&G's project, DOT's project. So when you look at eminent domain, it's, it's all over the place depending on the types of projects. You think the pickup in activities... What percentage would you give it that it happens across the country? Is it 10% more projects, 20%? I would think across the country, you could be an easy 30, 40% more projects. Wow. There's a lot of money, a lot of money. And I think a lot of um, areas of the country were hit with budget problems, and now they're going to get a bunch of money. It's how they spend it. You know, some of these could be small projects. Sure. And then you could have big projects. So in a state like New Jersey, if you have a whole bunch of, bridge projects and you bring the, the, the properties up to code and change the access into, you have small taking, small eminent domain cases, but you're modifying access. In how difficult it, not to get a payday, but how difficult is it for the property owner to Stop the project from happening. Really, really hard if it's a, a legitimate government project. If it's a redevelopment project and it's an overreach um, where uh, there's really no public benefit, yes, you can challenge those. And those are the redevelopment projects. When the government is doing a project for the public, as long as their attorney doesn't trip up, you really can't beat them. For example, they have to negotiate in good faith. Sometimes they don't do that. The court will dismiss the case, make them pay your legal fees, but it's a do-over. They negotiate and they do it again. So, you know, in a lot of the public projects, we don't always challenge the taking. What we do is we challenge the payday, how much they have to pay you. There you go. Um, the other thing that's really important is um, what they do in New Jersey is the DOT tries to handle the access issue first and then do the acquisition in the second part. And the reason is if they just modify your access, in some circumstances, it's deemed the exercise of the police power and you don't get paid damages or compensation. And as you know from a retail site, you can destroy a site by changing the access. You really can. That's where the property owners really need to pay attention, get a good lawyer and a traffic engineer to really decide if that's going to be a problem, and then meet with the DOT engineers and see if you could come up with a better plan that won't kill your site. You know, uh, If you have a drive-through, if you have parking, you're on site, how are you going to get your delivery? Those things could be changed 
And you may have a site that has 10 curb cuts or no, no curb at all. Trucks come in and out. Now DOT says, we're going to give you one driveway. And you're like, well, where's it going to be? That's not going to work. My trucks can't do the turns and stuff. You, you better get involved early and oftentimes uh, bring a traffic engineer on, on, online to let them know if their plan's going to work or not. Got it. Um, and so my experience has been there's when it comes to the value that they ascribe it is not how the private market ascribes a value to the asset. Is that your experience? Yeah, one of, one of the problems is it's battle the appraisers. And the appraisers generally have to go off comparable sales or the income approach with leases. Usually, the, when you have a big difference... I just settled a case where the government was at a million three. We were at 7.5, oh right? Oh, my God. Okay. The difference is what's the highest and best use of a property? So if I have, you know, 100 acres and I look out there and I don't really understand real estate, I may say, ah, oh, you could do A, B, or C. I get someone like you or a good planner or a good real estate person say, no, if I can get a variance, you could do this project. Or if we could get the zoning change, the town would support it, and we could do this. So when you have the big difference, it usually is a difference in the highest and best use of the property and whether or not there's a reasonable probability of getting a, a variance or a zoning change. Yeah. I would. The other thing I would say is I've seen that the, the difference is also – the impact it makes, right? So you settled it from a, the, the 750000 in one case that assumed damages. But as you've mentioned, right, they might take like, because if they're just, it's, it's very hard. Like if they're just taking, like you mentioned a small project, sometimes they just need to take like literally like a 25 by 25 foot like piece of land, right? It's like, really small piece of land or even smaller to make it work well on a taxable basis maybe that value of that dirt is on its own is fifty thousand dollars but because now you've changed the entire complexion of the property the property value has potentially changed and it's unknown what that is. So there's this huge delta in if you're just looking at the facts, yeah, but now you've I've just lost not potential revenue of the seven hundred and fifty thousand in cars sold, but the value of the actual underlying dirt has fun has fundamentally changed. Yeah, and we call that severance damages. Yeah. And they're recoverable, but you have to prove them. Yeah. And what makes it difficult is you need to have an expert that could point to data to support their opinion. Sure. And that's where you really, like, for example, the, a case I just settled a couple of weeks ago, for the property owner to show there's a reasonable probability of getting an ordinance change to allow us to do mixed use, I had four experts. I had a traffic engineer, a sewer slash environmental engineer, a planner, and an appraiser. Because like you said, 
if I'm going to say a little, a little taking has a big impact and my property drops by 30%, I have to prove that. So in my case, they took part of 258 acres, which was a closed golf course for open space. The government appraised it as open space. Yes, they did that. We appraised it as mixed use, but I had to show that there was a reasonable probability and I had to get all my ducks in a row. And sometimes it's hard to tell the client, yes, they're taking your property. You didn't ask them to do it, but you have to spend the money on these experts to show. We also rely upon our very experienced property owners who have visions for properties sure. that other people don't see. They say, well, down the road, I think I could do this project. Now I can't. Well, what, what, what makes you think that's going to work? You're like, wow, that's a good idea. And then you explain why you think that little taking is going to be an impact. I mean, we go through that all the time with underground utility easements. Well, it's just an underground pipe. You could, you could use the surface. The answer is no, you can't use the surface. You can't put a building over it. Um, it now you just killed your, your building envelope. Um, there's other things. You, you, sometimes you can't pave and cross it, or you can't cross it at an angle. All these different restrictions can hurt you down the road. Sure. So, Tim, this has been fascinating. What is, so one, we're going to see an uptick in this. It's, it, it's unless the bill changes, but it's seemingly the bill is here and states are going to get funded for projects that have been on the, on ice for a while. And that's going to lead to an uptick in eminent domain across the country. Um, any tips for property owners out there? Yeah, I think that, the number one tip is to try to engage early. Like I said, in New Jersey, they do a two-step process. You have to get involved on in that access and try to negotiate right away. Um, so that, because there's certain time periods that you have to appeal. So if they make a decision and say, well, I'm gonna change your access and it doesn't impact you, and you think it does, you may only have a 30-day time period to appeal that. So it's very important not to ignore notices Two, try to stay on top of the planning in your area, especially if it's a, a big site, you know, if it's a big retail site. Um, you know, what's the project and engage early, I think, is the number one thing for the uh, property owners, especially on the retail site side. Got it. Um, very helpful. Well... Tim, anything we didn't talk about today that you think as it relates to eminent domain, you give a good story, you give us some, a lot of context, a lot of information that we should talk about that we haven't as it relates to eminent domain and takings and the infrastructure bill. Yeah, I think the only, the only thing to remember is the eminent domain is that, you know, that you're not restricted on valuation to the present use. It's the highest and best use of the process, uh, property that's oftentimes different than the existing use. And you only get one bite at the apple. So if an eminent domain is coming in, you need to get good professionals together and look at all the future potential uses of this property and try to understand how this taking is going to impact those uses. That's the key to make sure that you get as close to whole as possible. You know, you're supposed to be made whole of the government. 
I've yet to have that case. Never had the case where the property owner walked away whole because in New Jersey, you pay your own legal fees. That alone sets you back. And you get a good engineer. You get in a good appraiser to put your case together. So I think the key is, is when there's a taking, you have to look at the property on all the potential future uses and make sure that if the building envelope is smaller and, and it's going to hurt you down the road, get those damages now. I have a question. Do you, how hard would it be for a government to use eminent domain on a functional working property? Like, and not just the, the a sliver, but like, let's use a shopping center. Like, taking the entire center and and it was vibrant and things were happening but they had a project have we seen anything like that it's been crazy is that crazy yes so you have so if they were to take it to build a school or a municipal building you're not going to be able to stop that they can do it it's we've seen situations where you do have fully occupied property and you have businesses that have been there a long time and landlords that own the property have leased them out. But the township thinks there's a better use. Okay, under our redevelopment law, that's not enough to say, well, we'd like something different. We're going to take that from you and give it to this other developer because we think that's a better use. What they have to show is the property's in need of redevelopment. You know, it's wow. underutilized, it's vacant. But what ends up happening is the government hires their professionals and they're going to tell you it meets redevelopment criteria because that's what they're paid to do. Mm -hmm. What's well, underutilized? It's a, uh, it needs to be repaired. They'll come up with all their reasons, try to designate it, then take it by eminent developer development and then give it to another developer. And we've seen that. And there's been some successes um, in challenging those projects. But a lot of times they're happening in cities and they're sort of maybe half full or three quarters full or things sure. like that. Um, but that's where, if, you know, if that's coming in, um, we have had a fair amount of eminent domain abuse throughout the country. And you really need to get a good lawyer in because the way the cases work is they file a complaint and within six or seven weeks, you're having a hearing and that's game day on the right to take. You don't have two or three years to prepare your case and, and present it to a jury on the right to take. It happens pretty quickly. So you got to get your ducks in an order pretty quickly to come in and challenge that taking if it's an overreach, like the example you just gave us. Wow. Well, Tim, really insightful, really interesting information. Appreciate you coming on today and uh, sharing your knowledge with us. Well, thanks very much. I, I enjoyed this, Chris. It was a, a lot of fun. And I hope um, I was able to help people understand a little bit of a process. And uh, it's important to stay on top of it because people invest money, um, do a great job with their properties. You don't ask the government to come along and they don't really care how it impacts you. And then they make you fight over the money. It's, wow. not, it's not a level playing field. For sure. It is what it is. Well, Tim, this has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, 
please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.